Why are we, as devoted followers of Jesus, becoming more bashful about going public for Him? Not even chains could shut the Apostle Paul's mouth in Ephesians 6, 19-22. Let's join Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, for The Fearless Ambassador in Chains. I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning about 10 o'clock you get a telephone call and it says this is Washington on the line. You kind of catch your breath and then you're fainted dead away. When you wake up he said I want you to know that you've just been appointed the ambassador to France. I have met with my cabinet and we have decided that we want you to go. You're going to move to Paris with the Eiffel Tower and you'll be able to be on the left bank of the Seine River and be able to go to Notre Dame for real. But most importantly, you've been appointed to be the, the ambassador, the representative for the United States government to Paris. Now, as you arrive in Paris, how are you going to respond? Are you going to wave the flag? Are you going to be proud that you're an American? And obviously, as an ambassador, what's your job? You all know what the the job of an ambassador is. In the modern world, an ambassador to Paris, an ambassador to Germany, an ambassador to London, an ambassador to the United Nations. If you're an ambassador to the United States, you are to be the embodiment of your country. And and so if you're a proud American, uh, even though it's enemy territory in France these days in some ways, you know, they might not like you as a representative of our government. If you're going to be a good ambassador, you're going to handle that. You're going to boast about it. You're going to be proud to be an American. You're going to try to do it skillfully. You're not going to try to be a brash American, but you are going to, to go public for the United States, that's your job. And you say, well, Dave, that's really far-fetched. Man, I don't want to go to Paris, and I don't even speak French, so, you know, what are you talking about? You have been appointed, every one of you that have come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, if there's come a time in your life when you've come to know the Lord Jesus, then you have been appointed, you've been appointed for real by the King of Kings, the ultimate divine being, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that created everything, the God that sent his son, the Lord Jesus, he made you his ambassador. If you're starting out school, you're an ambassador in school. If you're teaching in the university, you're an ambassador in the university. If you're a dentist, then you're an ambassador in the field of dentistry and all the people you meet. If you're a veterinarian, and on and on it goes. Some of you are going to be getting in your truck and you're going to be traveling all over this state selling different kinds of industrial equipment, all kinds of things. What I want you to hear this morning is that your Heavenly Father has appointed you to be an ambassador. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because the Apostle Paul, as he closes the book of Ephesians, talks about his own role and his own appointment as an ambassador. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We learned last week that we can pray about all different kinds of requests, all different kinds of needs. You can be personal with God because through Christ you've been brought near. But the Apostle Paul gets very personal. He closes the letter. And look at verse 19 of Ephesians 6. He says this, Pray also for me. The great apostle asked the Ephesian believers to pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Notice again, the same word is used, boldness, fearlessly, to do it with openness. That's the idea of that word. Then he talks very personally about a friend of his named Tychicus who was one of his friends from Asia, possibly even from the city of Ephesus, which was in the province of Asia Minor, which you'll know where it is today. It's in the modern country of Turkey. 
And Tychicus probably was one of the early young believers that heard the Apostle Paul share the gospel, came to know Christ as his Savior, and now he's become an associate with Paul, a dear brother, he calls him. Uh, talks about the intimate relationship they have in Christ as family, as brothers, and this is truly the original band of brothers. And he's also a faithful servant to the Lord. He's going to tell the Ephesians everything. They're going to tell them about the Apostle Paul's imprisonment, how he's doing, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Those are the verses we're going to cover today. I've talked about it, this, the ambassador in change. What I want you to think about is the Apostle Paul presents a really strange picture to us. It's an ironic picture because he's an ambassador. If you were appointed the ambassador of the United States to Paris, you would have what we call diplomatic immunity. Like if you were speeding and you got a ticket, like I sometimes do. Anybody do that? Shouldn't do it, but I do. Well, I don't get immunity. I can't say to the Dallas police, I'm sorry, I'm an ambassador, I have diplomatic immunity. They say, baloney, you pay the, the whatever it is, okay? You're like that too. But if you're an ambassador, you could say, I'm a citizen of the United States, I'm the ambassador of the United States, I have diplomatic immunity. The idea there is that the government that you're representing your government in can intimidate you. You can say what you want, you can carry out the commissions of your government, and you have diplomatic immunity. They're not supposed to throw you in jail. They're not supposed to attack you. And that's what's so ironic about this passage, because here's the ultimate government in the universe, the ultimate king of kings. God in heaven has made Paul his ambassador, his representative. And he's been exercising that representative ambassador function, traveling all over the Roman Greek world and the Jewish world, and then he gets thrown in jail for it. So if I were Paul, I would say, you know, God, you're not coming through for me. Man, the Roman ambassadors, when a Roman emperor sends an ambassador over to Antioch in Syria, a great big city, in that st- again in modern-day Turkey, when they send this Roman emissary, man, the Roman emissary doesn't get thrown in jail. The, the emperor would, you know... Have cause heads to roll if that happened from a human standpoint the apostle paul has a reason to be intimidated to be afraid to not be bold to go silent for jesus one of the worst things that you can ever imagine has happened to him his freedom's been taken away he's now as he's written this whole letter he's sitting probably by this time in the early 60s of, of the first century he's probably sitting in a home, like at the end of the book of Acts, he's under a house arrest. He has Roman centurions guarding him. He can have his friends come back and forth to see him, but he really can't travel freely. He, there's even some pressure on him about the words that he's saying. What I love it is the Apostle Paul, we think of him being this giant that would never need anybody to pray, and he starts out this text saying, I want you to pray for me. And so I want to begin today, I want you to pray for me. And I want to pray for you. How many of you have ever felt a little bit intimidated about sharing your faith? Anyone here that's ever had any fear about sharing your faith? In other words, somebody starts, you know, blowing, you know, their ideas of how you get to heaven and it's all this good works thing and they're trying to earn their way and all this kind of a thing. And, and you know that it, you, you've been praying, Lord, give me an opportunity. And the Lord just throws an opportunity right in your lap. I mean, it's just, a, it's just one of those, where, and the Holy Spirit inside of you says, go ahead, open your mouth, it's okay. And you don't do it. Anybody ever been like that? Well, I want you to know Like, I can be really bold. Like, my dad was one of the boldest evangelists that you could ever meet. I mean, he was a New Yorker, 
and New Yorkers are not shy. And my dad could stand up anywhere, any place. For example, when I was a little kid, we'd be on the streets of New York. My dad would tell me to blow my trumpet on the street in New York. You know, how great thou art. And then he would have somebody sing, and then he would stand up and start preaching. In fact, that's how my dad learned to preach. He said, if you can preach on a street corner where people just walk by and you got to get them to stop, that's how you learn to do it. And in New York, that might be nuts to do in, in Midlothian. You know, they might think you were really, really weird. But in New York, nobody thinks it's weird. In fact, people really will stop and, and listen because there's hundreds of people all the time and, and you have to be careful not to block traffic. Everybody else is shouting in the street corner, so you might as well shout the gospel. Well, my dad was totally unashamed to do that. I was ashamed. My mom was ashamed, too, so I got the genes from her. <laughs> but I remember one time we were doing a prophetic congress, and Marv Rosenthal, who was a marvelous Jewish person that came to know Jesus as the Savior, and we were at Wall Street, and we were doing this. It was when I was older, so I didn't really have any excuse. I'd already pastored you for several years. And I remember I was standing right next to Marv, and my dad got through his message, and he looked at both of us, and he said, I, I, and I said, oh, no, Lord, not now. And so he said, Marv, would you get up here? Man, Marv jumped up there in the streets of the, it's the, the original treasure of the United States, and Marv just let the people that were walking there on Wall Street have it with the gospel. And the Lord powerfully used it. And I remember sitting there going, man, Lord, I don't want to do this. I remember at the Lake Placid Olympic Games, this is years ago too, when Haydn won all the gold medals in the speed skating, and his sister did as well. I remember I was there, and I was sitting there. It was when the United States also won the hockey thing. And I remember looking in a window with my dad, and the United States was getting revved up to make that run. We had seen them beat uh, West Germany, and they were now in the next ladder of their competition. And this great big guy, and the, everyone's looking through this store window at this, that small screen TV. They didn't have big screens like we have now. But we're looking through the window, and this guy just cusses Jesus. And I just let it blow right by me. My dad said, sir, sir, that name means a lot to me. And I go, <laughs> like this, you know. I start ducking. So if you join me in not being fearless and bold, the first thing I think the Apostle Paul wants us to, to get a hold of today is that we need to pray for one another that we will be bold. It's one of the major things. And I want you to know that the Apostle Paul didn't do this easily. When you're a prisoner and you're suffering for your faith and you're a human being, Paul didn't ask for prayer because he never struggled with being ashamed of the gospel. He says, I want you to pray that I will be fearless. I want you to pray that I'll be bold. For pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Again, he says, I'm an ambassador. I want you to pray that I will declare it fearlessly. I want you to think this morning about being bold, about being fearless. Believers in the United States today are becoming timid. You're afraid. And I want you to know that you live in a culture where hardly anybody else is afraid. And I want you to stop and think about that. When I was in New Jersey a few weeks ago, before I got up to preach, the whole place was coming unglued because a guy gets up with his wife and he says, I've been unfaithful to my wife. You know, I don't know what it's going to do to my family, but I am proud to be a homosexual. I am a gay American, and I'm proud to be in a country where I can be that. Now, you know what that is? That's bold. Now, he had good reasons for it. There's a lot of other things involved in it. But I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. You live in a culture 
the homosexual community is very small. Now, you think that they're all over the place, but they're really a very, very small minority. But in Austin, in Washington, D.C., in the major capital of our land, you know what? They are totally unashamed. Sure, there's a lot that are in the closet, but one of the major points of our time is we're coming out. Another area, like a lot of you don't like Michael Moore politically, but Michael Moore is a big, heavy, kind of rough Michigan boy. He doesn't look to me like he played first-string quarterback for his high school football team. You know, his shirts are out and hair's all messed up. And, but you know what? Michael Moore is unashamed. Now, a lot of you totally disagree with him, but I want you to stop and think about his boldness. One of the things I want you to understand is that you have freedom of religion, Okay? And when Paul said these words, the Apostle Paul was not in a place that had freedom of religion. You see, when Paul went to to Ephesus, for example, and started preaching the gospel, it was possible that the Roman government could come in and say, you're proclaiming a new religion. In fact, we heard you say in the marketplace that there's no longer a barrier between Jews and Gentiles and that no longer do you have to obey all the law in order to get to heaven and that the temple in Jerusalem isn't totally necessary anymore because Jesus, this, this new savior has come and he's the temple. You've been saying all these strange things and you're saying that everybody can just believe in this, in this, this, is this Jewish savior that's resurrected from the dead and died on the cross, and if they'll trust in him, they can be united together into a new group, a new people of God where there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free. The Apostle Paul, for preaching that kind of a message, could get thrown in jail. And by the way, he did. We couldn't meet like this in China. We couldn't be building a new building. We would be all over this area in each other's homes. And we would be very careful about, we would want to invite people, but if you invited the wrong people, then I'd get thrown in jail for teaching you like I'm teaching you right now. Do you know what the Chinese believers say about that? So what? I'm, I'm serious. The Chinese believers say, so what's new? They say that's the way it is. We're, we're, you know, for, for 70 years now, we've lived in prison. We've lived in chains. We can't boldly declare the gospel, but you know what? They boldly declare the gospel. I mean, I was just with a Chinese leader that, that I've shared a little bit about that taught at Southwestern Medical School. He's a physicist, did research there. He suddenly invited a bunch of his colleagues because he said, man, we're in the United States of America. It's Dallas, Texas. Some of his colleagues were a little bit interested in Christianity. He said, hey, why don't you guys come to church with me after they stayed at his, ate a meal at his home and he was, had a really good relationship with them. A whole bunch of them went to First Baptist and you know what? They got saved. And they've been doing that now for about 10 or 12 years. And all these scientists that are going back to China are becoming leaders. It's just an incredible thing that I've shared with you. That's boldness. And and my friend is a little bitty guy. He's very quiet. But man, when it comes to sharing Jesus, he's bold. We live in a culture where everybody and his brother is fearless and bold, except us believers. And I want to challenge us today. And I want you to pray for me. What I find is that I can be really bold. Man, I can preach to you, and my personality works. If you put a thousand people before me, I'm bold. Especially if a bunch of them are believers like me. So I know they won't totally kill me. But one-on-one in an airplane, like Mary and I are flying back from Philadelphia, there's a part of me that says, I just want to be quiet and praise the Lord, the guy's sleeping in, the, in two seats over. 
But I want, to, I want to encourage you to come out in the open. I had, the Lord tricked me this time. I had my Bible. I took my Bible because I, 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 I had to get ready to preach to you that Sunday. So I was using my Bible, and I stuck it under. I wanted to read USA Today, so I stuck my Bible under my seat, and it kind of slid out into the aisle, and, this, and the, the, uh, the attending came by, this marvelous guy that was really, he just had a great smile. He's really serving the plane and everything. And suddenly he looks at he's says, what's your Bible doing down the floor like that? So I said, well, you know, I, I was reading something else and I'd get ready and he picked it up. He said, what kind of a translation is it? And, and he's talking really loud. I mean, really loud. He said, what translation is it? I, he said, well, I said, it's the New International Version. He said, well, let me go back. I'm going to go get back money. He walks back in the plane, gets his Bible, and it's this great print Bible. I mean, it's the big print that, that even I can read without my glasses. He's saying, let's look at it. He said, I have the same version you do. Isn't that great? It turned out he's born again. He's really, and he's talking real loud. I mean, he's totally unashamed. He's asking me, you know, like, I asked him where he went to church, and he asked me, you know, what I was doing, asked Mary what she was doing. We're having this conversation. And, and, and so we end up being brothers in Christ in the plane. And it just struck me. Here's a guy, he was totally unashamed. One of the stewardesses walked by, one of his fellow uh, workers on U.S. Airways said to him, and, and she, as she passed by, she said, and he is an awesome guy. He's, the, he's an incredible worker. What a testimony. That's what I'm talking about. Openness, boldness. And the apostle, he'd say, well, Dave, how do we get that? We get that by praying for one another. We can admit our timidity. We can admit that we're scared. And we can just start to, start to ask the Lord. I remember my dad used to tell a story years ago. There's a girl that she wanted to be a witness in high school in the New York area. And so she went to high school. And what she did is she got a bunch of tracks. She thought that would be a good place to start out. So she had all these tracks in her pocket. And she decided that one of the things she could do to be unashamed of Christ is that she could thank the Lord for the food in her high school cafeteria. You know the way high school cafeterias are. You know, everyone's yelling and screaming, and you're trying to scramble for your table, and you usually sit with your friends. So she sat down with her friends, and she decided that she would go for it. She wouldn't do one of these, you know, <laughs> you know that she wouldn't just go like that. You know, all the tricks that we use as believers when we're in situations, we really think we ought to pray, but we don't, you know. You know what I'm talking about? So she decided, I'm going to go for it. And she's a real timid high school girl, and she's really scared, but she really asked the Lord for openness. So she said, I'm going to go for it. So she bowed her head, and she decided she needed to hold her head down long enough that, that it, you know, the people would know that what she was doing. Well, all of a sudden, the whole cafeteria went quiet. Her worst fear. I mean, the whole place went quiet. She could tell. You know, you know what? Even with your eyes closed, how you can tell when people are looking at you? And you're in bad trouble. Really bad trouble. So she knows everyone's looking at her. She never even picked up her head. She just she reached down into her bag with her head bowed and she just held up all these tracks in her head. <laughs> but the Lord started to use that girl for the Lord Jesus. And there's all different ways you can be bold. I want to challenge you, let's pray for one another to be bold. And he talks in this text about making known the mystery, about opening my mouth. Notice when it says, whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me. We can pray to one another that, that the Lord will fill our mouth with words. And I, I want to challenge you, if, if we pray for one another, if we ask the Lord for boldness and frankness and openness, the Lord will fill your mouth. How many of you have ever launched into sharing the gospel with somebody and you were amazed? You said, where did that ever come from? 
And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In fact, literally, in the Old Testament, when a prophet was going to speak, it would use these words, that the Lord will open his mouth and will fill it. And I believe that that's part of what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an apostle. I have a responsibility to make known the message. Inspire me by your spirit so that when I open my mouth, I'll declare what I need to declare. I think of the Apostle Paul were here today. He would say that the Holy Spirit is in your life. I taught you that in chapter 1. You're sealed with the Spirit. You're supposed to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I think the Apostle Paul would say, right now, if you'll be bold this week, he'll fill it. You're not ever going to do that until you get excited about the mystery of the gospel of Christ. From the time I've been a little kid, a guilt trip has been laid on me that I need to reach more people for Jesus. In fact, one of the things that keeps me from sharing, that locks me up on the inside, is that I have heard so many messages. you got to get out there and talk to more people. If you don't talk to those people, they're going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever. And why don't you do that? And, you know, I, and stories like I, you wake up at 11 o'clock in the middle of the night and you're going to bed and say, man, I haven't talked to Jesus today. So you get your clothes back and then you walk out in the street and find someone that you can share Christ. I was raised with that kind of preaching. But you know what? I look back over some of my heritage. Sometimes it wasn't rejoice it wasn't celebrated with how awesome the gospel is in fact i think the reason that a lot of you aren't bold is that the gospel just isn't that you know who cares what's the gospel who cares and maybe that's because you don't really know what the gospel is you see the apostle paul doesn't say help me to be bold so i can tell everybody to go to church because man it's a great bible church and they have great programs and we've got a great religion if you get in with us you're gonna have good strong families mormons could say that if you're from a mormon background you're gonna have a prettier place to go to i'm sorry you know the building committee has done an awesome job but we haven't spent the money that the mormons will spend to build the mormon tabernacle in utah I want you as a church family to be really clear about what you got. Because I think we will be bold. What I find about human beings is when something really exciting happens, we all get bold. When we get really interested in something, something really starts to meet our need, something really transformed our life, we just automatically go bold for it. We get open about it. And that's the second thing that I want you to look at. The Apostle Paul is praying that when I open my mouth, I might make known the mystery of the gospel. Look what he says here. He says, I want to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, those of you that have been with us throughout this book understand what the mystery of the gospel is, but I want you to think about it again. I want you to think about the word mystery, first of all. In the New Testament, the word mystery is used in a very different way. Usually, when we talk about a mystery, it's a secret. If you watch a Sherlock Holmes mystery, Sherlock Holmes is the only one that really knows what's going on. And Dr. Watson, like an idiot, is about 20 steps behind him and, like us, doesn't figure it out till the end. And then Sherlock Holmes helps us all to understand who done it through his brilliant intellect as he reveals the mystery. Does that make sense? That's where we usually use mystery. Some of you in your past have been involved in secret societies. And there are mysteries in those societies. One of the reasons why you like those societies is that you could go and be with a bunch of your friends who knew the secret. 
that knew the special formulas, that knew the special ceremonies, and that really covered the base. I want you to listen carefully to me because this is really important. As the years go by, you're going to be attracted. Come to our group. We have found the secret. Come listen to me teach. Come listen to me teach because I have found the secret. I found the special diet. I found the special clothes. I found the special place you can go in the Middle East where you can be baptized in water that's flowing that's 32 and a half degrees and it'll wash away all of your sins. On and on it goes, all kinds of stuff. That's the way we usually use the word mystery. But it's not the way the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery. I want you to stop and think about it. He says, Lord, I want you to pray. Ephesians, pray for me that I'll make known the mystery. Whenever someone says it's a secret and only you are going to find out about it, you need to come to our secret meeting and you'll find out about it. It's a lie. Did you hear what I said? If anybody ever comes to you and says, we're going to have this secret meeting. We found the secret. We found the answer. You come to us, and you'll be one of the special people that hear the good news, that hear the answer. It's a lie. Because this is the ultimate mystery. I'm sharing with you the ultimate mystery. If you find out this mystery, you will be right with God. You will be his child forever and ever. I don't care if you've been a homosexual. I don't care if you've had 20 abortions. I don't care if you've been a right-wing fundamentalist that's been on the right-wing conservative side of politics. I don't care if you're on the left wing and you're totally, you were marching for, for feminine rights and all kinds of things. I don't care what you've done. If you hear this message and you respond to it, you will, by a gift, become a child of God. It is the greatest, greatest good news in all the world. That's what the mystery is today. Where are you getting this from? Ephesians 1, it ended, it's like Paul busted in the praise. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you, every one of you that received Jesus Christ, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. It blows my mind, but I am looking at a group of people that forever and ever and ever are going to be enjoying all the good gifts, all the love, all the incredible graciousness, all the kindness, multiplied infinity that the Lord God of heaven can give you. You've been blessed with those kind of blessings. You can know that for sure right now. That when you die instantly, you'll be in the ultimate eternal place and you'll be right at the center of attention with the Son of God and the Lord of the universe is going to bless you forever and ever and ever. It says at the end of chapter 1, it says that one day everything's going to be summed up in Jesus. One day everybody will be bowing before Jesus. One day everyone will be worshiping him and praising him and those that rebelled against him will be forced to do so. And the Bible's saying that this one, that God's going to sum up everything in Jesus... It says you are the one that fills him. That when all of the universe is praising him, he says it's my bride. Just like a husband that's in love with his bride, says this is the one that makes my life complete. That's who you are. So you say, Dave, how did we get there? Well, Ephesians 2 says you were dead. You know what? This is what we need to get excited about. And we might need to make it really clear. As we go out into society this week, we need to realize that people around us that haven't met Jesus yet are dead. And so they'll act like dead people. So don't get mad at them. Don't get angry with them because they act like dead people. It says Ephesians 2 starts out saying, we used to be dead in our trespasses and sin. 
We used to be alienated from the life of God. We lived under the control of the evil one and we did what he wanted us to do, all of that stuff. And, but it doesn't end there. There's some believers that they're preaching to people, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil. It's like a bunch of medical doctors that, that have a bunch of cancer patients that come to them day after day and they say, cancer's bad, you have cancer, you're a terrible, you're gonna die. How would you like to go to a doctor that all they do is tell you every time you go there, you got terminal cancer, you're gonna die. And we've got, we're going to make laws against your cancer. In fact, we're going to make it so it's illegal for you to have cancer. That really, really helped you, doesn't it? That's really where we are as believers often. We're telling people, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And what Ephesians is saying, yeah, we are bad. All of us are. But it says, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus made us alive in Jesus Christ. You know what happened to you guys? When you received Jesus, now listen to me. When you received Jesus... And I can picture it like this. There's several in our church family that have had cancer. Deb Baxter had leukemia and had a blood transfusion, a marrow transfusion that, that totally tried to attack that disease. A donor came to Debbie and gave her her bone marrow and went through a lot of pain to be able to do that. And, and they took out Debbie's bad bone marrow and they put in this woman's new bone marrow. And Debbie was healed of her leukemia, an incredible miracle, a real gift of grace. Now, I want you to stop and think about it. Every year, one of the big things we do here in Middle Ocean, this is why you need to get excited about the good news, because this will help you understand the mystery of the good news about Jesus. Every year, one of the big things we do throughout Ellis County is a walk for life. For one of the most moving experiences, one of the things they do, they have all the survivors of cancer. They have a walk during part of that evening where all the survivors of cancer walk around that track and you see hundreds of people that have been healed of cancer that have beaten cancer that are still alive walk that track you know what i have never 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 seen a demonstration where a bunch of people that have cancer now that put up placards say i can't believe it you're marching you're saying you're healed of cancer what a terrible thing we're marching for cancer we're marching for cancer cancer's a great thing you're discriminating against it it's such a good thing and we've decided cancer is good nobody ever does that nobody ever says all these people have been healed of cancer nobody ever attacks them because we all understand how deadly cancer is and that's what i want you to think you live in a society that says on a spiritual moral plane there isn't such a thing as cancer and I want that news for you, there is. My hatred and my anger that can explode into murderous violence is deadly and it will send me to hell forever and ever. My lust that doesn't make me a one woman man when I lust after someone else that is a sign that there's a dead corpse inside of Dave Wurtson when I lie to you when I stretch the truth when I'm not filled with love for God the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and there's a part of me that loves me and doesn't love God and you can take your sin every one of you in this room have manifestations of the deadness of spiritual cancer. And that's one of the things we want to communicate to people. We want to communicate to people that for all have sinned to come sure of the glory of God. You are not saying that you're better than someone else. You are not saying that you are more disciplined, that you're more righteous in your own strength. You're saying to the world as you go after this week, I join you in a condition of spiritual separation from God and deadness. 
I have spiritual terminal cancer. But you don't stop there. You don't stop there. That's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is, Paul says, but God loved us. God loved us when we had homosexual passion, when we had abortions, when we had, I'm picking some of the things that are so high profile, but he also loved us when we cheated on in our income tax, and he loved us when we get angry with the one that we love the most in our marriages. He loved us when we lose our temper with our kids. He loved us when we rebel against our moms and dads. He loved us so much that he saw that spiritual, eternal separation we would experience. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus took a needle and he took all of your infection out of your body. It's like he went to every one of those people that are in that walk for life and Jesus personally goes to every single one of them and he pulled out, he took a blood transfusion, he took all of their cancer cells out of their body, everything out of their bone marrow, everything out of their cells and he injected it into himself and he injected his holiness and his righteousness and his eternality and his total love for the Savior and he injected it into them and made them totally well and whole and and committed to him and he gave them a new life that's what Ephesians 2 is about and he destroyed all the barriers that would keep us from coming to God and he says now you become the child of God that is the mystery of the gospel that by grace have you been saved through faith and that none of yourselves, it's a total gift of God. And then the incredible thing is after Jesus took the terminal case, the punishment for us, he rose again from the dead. So now he's alive in our midst. Brothers and sisters, this is the most powerful message in the world. This is the eternal message. And we've got to be totally clear on what it is. It's, it's proclaiming Jesus, not proclaiming good works, not proclaiming morality alone. It is proclaiming this incredible glory of the Savior. And that's what Paul meant to the praise of the glory of his grace. It means you sit here this morning and go, without Jesus, I would be nothing. But because of his grace, his unmerited favor, he's making me beautiful through the power of his spirit living inside of me. The Apostle Paul got excited about that, and he was willing to be persecuted for it. What I'm sharing about this grace, I was just with a, an Islamic guy. He works among the Bahora Muslims. He's working with a very specific group that believe that they have so many emanations from this imam, one of the original imams. Ali is the original imam, but then there's another branch, and the Bahors are on one of these branches, and they believe that one of their imams is the manifestation. I think he's 12th or 13th now. Do you know that a Bahora Muslim will take their life savings, $40,000? This, this fellow that's working with the Bahora says they'll take $40,000 and give it to that imam for him to eat one meal with them. That's what they believe. They'll, they'll, they'll give $40,000 to have that imam who's the manifestation of the truth to come and eat a meal with them. Brothers and sisters, you know why you need to make known the mystery? You know why I need to not be ashamed of it anymore? You know what he he tells them? He tells them, my Savior, the ultimate imam, God's son, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will just open the door, I'll come in and not just eat one meal with them, but I'll eat with them for a lifetime and forever. And you know what? My friend is able to tell them, He doesn't want your $30,000 to come into your life. He'll do it totally free. Isn't that good news? That is really, really 
goodness. And nobody else has it. There's nobody. You live in a culture that tells you there's so many different ways to go there. No, there isn't. There's two ways that the world tells you to get to heaven. Either you can try to get there yourself by giving $30,000 to an imam, by building gigantic religious buildings, by trying to turn over a new life and live good. There's all kinds of religions. All You can meditate. You can do all kinds of stuff. But it's, you're jumping, trying to find God. So that's one of the ways. And all the religions of the world are like that. There's only one revelation that says that that ultimate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has come our way. And he's done it totally free of charge. Do you understand the preciousness of that good news? I pray this morning that we'll join Paul. This is the mystery of the gospel. One final thing. You know what that means? That means that there's no divisions in our church anymore. Because the Apostle Paul said in, in Ephesians 3 that Jesus, this gift of grace, has torn down all the barriers. The big barrier in the first century were Jews and Gentiles. Jews ate all kinds of different food, kosher food, like I share with you. Gentiles were very pagan. They couldn't even eat meals together. And Paul declared a totally new thing. He said, there's now no longer Jew, no longer Gentile. There are now the new people of Jesus. Red and yellow, black and white, Islamic people, Jewish people, Roman Catholic people, Presbyterian people, Methodist people, all of that disappears. It becomes the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? One of the reasons why we're not reaching out to the lost world like we should is because we're not demonstrating the wonder of that mysterious unity. So we can work on that this week to be one together from all different backgrounds, all different parts of the country. We have this incredible love. We want you to know Jesus. This is the incredible mystery. What are you going to do about it this week? The Lord wants you to open your mouth. Say, Lord, the Apostle Paul prayed that he would be bold. I'm going to start praying that my brothers and sisters, including me, will go fearlessly public for Jesus. I want you to do it with wisdom, with tact, with salt and light, Seasoned with salt, having, you know, like First Peter says, to be ready to give an answer and doing it with gentleness and meekness, not with bombast. But I want us to pray that we'll go public for Jesus. Second of all, I want us to ask, that we'll, I want us to ask the Lord Jesus to help us to spread throughout this whole area what the meaning of the mystery of Jesus is. That it's a mystery that doesn't need to be a mystery to anyone else. That's the point this morning. We need to go out and help it no longer to be a mystery to people how you get right with God. They can know. It's not a mystery anymore. You can know for sure. The Apostle Paul was willing to suffer for it. And so you might suffer for it. Believers around the world are. But you're going to find out if you do get suffer, you might lose your job sometimes or you might lose a promotion. At school, you might be ridiculed for a little bit. But Jesus does incredible things. And that's what I pray he'll do for you. Let's pray. Father, I want you to help me not just to boldly declare the gospel this morning, the mystery of your son. And only your Holy Spirit can help us to understand the incredible wonder of the mystery of the gospel. But I'd ask you, Lord, that we'll really understand the power of the good news. And I'd ask you this morning that you would help us to join Paul in saying, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God, your power unto salvation to everyone that will believe. Give us more power to be bold in our witness to those that don't know Jesus. Give us more power in in not being afraid to be ridiculed a little bit. 
Give us more clarity and more boldness and fearlessness in helping others to understand who Jesus really is. Help us, Lord, now to be clear that we're not just proclaiming a moral way of life, but we're proclaiming a whole new life-giving transformation that comes through the resurrection power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.